You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we're joined by Ryan Gibson. He is with uh, Spartan Investment Groups. He is uh, in charge of investor relations, and Spartan Investment Groups focuses in um, self-storage. So we're going to deep dive into the self-storage um, niche today. I don't know that it's a, a topic we've really covered in depth on the show yet. So I was super excited to have Ryan join us and, and agree to uh, shed some light on on maybe this overlooked asset class. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Sterling. Thanks for the nice intro. <laughs> Ryan, can you give me your background? Where'd you come from? How'd you get into real estate? How'd you get into uh, self-storage specifically? Yeah, I've actually got a background as an airline pilot, uh, flying for a variety of different airlines, U.S. Airways, Express, uh, the old Northwest, um, and then most recently, uh, Alaska Airlines and Delta uh, as a pilot. Um, also had an experience uh, regulatory affairs in Washington, D.C., working, doing some work for the FAA as a consultant. And uh, But on the real estate side of things, I got my start in Washington, D.C., building condos and building homes and also doing full renovations of projects in uh, some pretty challenging areas. Um, in 20, uh, about 2016, we got a little tired of the residential and started doing commercial projects. So we now do self-storage investments and primarily focusing on markets that are secondary or tertiary. And we really like self-storage because in the last two recessions, um, it performed very well. Uh, so that was what our main draw to it was. And then we also like the easy to own, easy to evict, easy to maintain. Um, so we've been in storage kind of ever since uh, moving from residential um, into that space. And uh, we've really grown our portfolio of storage facilities. Awesome. I have a few questions. So, I, and I'm going to ask them all right now and, just so I get them out there because I have a tendency. I'm like, Oh, I got three questions. I ask one, we drive down that rabbit hole and I forget about the second two. So no the worries. first question is, or the first one's a statement. So I don't know what it is about real estate and airline pilots, but I have met more airline pilots since I've been in real estate than ever. <laughs> there is like an enormous correlation between people that fly airplanes and people that buy real estate. And I don't know what the code is. Maybe you could shine some light on that for me, but it, there's like a huge conversion rate there. Yeah. Just, so, I, yeah, no, I, I, this is great. I was actually just talking to another gentleman who does, uh, the same thing, actually, he runs a fund called Turbine Capital, and um, we've flown together uh, a bit on a, on a trip. We actually just rented a Cessna and flew to see all of our properties that we're just about to purchase. We're, we're just about to purchase a nine-property portfolio uh, spread across Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida, and we rented our awesome. own plane and, and flew to each one of them. It was really fun. Um, but, you know, the the thing that I, that I like to say about being an airline pilot, it's the biggest life hack you can probably do in a career. Um, you get to travel um, for fun around the world, uh, any airline, anywhere, pretty much at no cost. Uh, that's great. Uh, the benefits are great. And when you're at work, you're flying an airplane. And so <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite a career. And the people you fly with are top notch. Uh, they are very high caliber people. They've gone through extensive background checks and they have great experience. Most of them or probably 50% of the people you fly with have been through some type of military uh, background, Air Force, um, Marines, uh, Army, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, they're just really great people. The camaraderie is amazing. So in this environment of trust, you know, you kind of get to, you kind of get to 
be around great people and I'd be able to identify with great people, which I think is an, agree- an ingredient for success in real estate. Um, and also, you know, the career pays pretty well and, uh, you know, you do get some downtime. Uh, so it's nice, um, you know, there, there is some schedule flexibility uh, and the ability to spend time on things like real estate. So yeah. I think I think you kind of mash all those together and you've got, you know, a pretty high conversion rate, like you said, of, of folks that get into real estate and uh, and fly. And um, so that kind of leads into my next question. How, how do you go from flying airplanes to like wanting to, to step into the residential space? You, you, you just kind of casually threw out there. Oh, I went and started building condos. I mean, what, what started you making want to build, what made you start wanting to build in condos? How, how did that transition happen? Yeah. So, you know, I've always been entrepreneurial um, and, you know, I initially started with providing pilot housing which we call crash pads um, around airports. And that was a great source of uh, extra income. You know, you organize a living situation around an airport. You have a lot of pilots that commute into that base and need housing and they need it efficient and cheap. Uh, so you provide that service for them and then you can collect uh, a little bit of a difference between your expenses and the revenue that you bring in with the, apart- with the apartment. Uh, so that was one thing that I, you know, that I started getting into, but really it all started when I met Scott, my business partner. Um, that's when we got serious, uh, Scott's, uh, army and a, a veteran. So he has a lot of strategy and st- strategic decision-making processes, uh, down pat. And that's really put the foundation around, um, what Spartan is today. Um, and we both like checklists, you know, it's, it's when you go into a property, yeah, you can kind of, you know, kind of guess and estimate, but you know, really when you're going to build a business, it's, it's the foundation is on processes and checklists and doing the things that, um, you know, we forget as human beings, but we remember when we look at the checklist. So I think that's what really helped it. Um, and when I met Scott, you know, we were both very passionate entrepreneurs. Uh, they had a very disciplined background of, you know, going through processes and procedures. And so when we got together, we kind of hit it off. You know, I had a little bit more extroverted. He's very extroverted too, but a little more extroverted capital raising side to me. And he had a little bit more business mindset than I did. So it was a perfect match to raise the capital that we needed to do projects and also have the due diligence to do them and be successful at them. So one by one, we started doing successful projects. Um, And that first residential house, to answer your question, was a house that was right next door to both of our houses. So we met his neighbors. So he was oh, walking nice. down the street one day, um, bumped into Scott. Literally, he was buying the house two doors down and I was trying to get someone to buy it. And, um, you know, we, uh, we, we ended up um, becoming business partners that way. So um, that was a really cool um, opportunity. Uh, we bought the house. It was a very difficult um, situation on buying it because the owners had died and passed away and the title wasn't cleaned up. And it was in tax auction at one point and, you know, the, how they go when you, when you build that, that good equity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, and then it just kind of, you know, he, he had a vision to make a strategic plan, which you can actually look on our website and we have a strategic plan that maps out uh, three years into the future. Um, and then we just got busy hiring. So now we're a company of, um, of almost 50 employees um, over 150 million under management. And, uh, you know, we have a, a nice tribe of investors, about 400 active investors. Um, so it's, it's been great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And every pilot I talk to mentions the word checklist as well. So that's, <laughs> that's another commonality, which is great. I imagine, I can't imagine how important they are in the air, but they're very important in real estate as well. So, um, 
you know, a, a captain, you know, right when I was getting started, you know, told me a very valuable lesson right away. He said, you know, the day you memorize the checklist is the day you should quit yeah. because you shouldn't memorize what you do. Um, you should always read the checklist and not be complacent. And, you know, the story goes, the first Boeing test pilots, you know, the, the, the Chuck Yeagers of, of days past, you know, crashed um, off the end of a runway in Seattle testing an airplane. And it was the most basic thing they missed in the, in the process. And, but they were the best, but they missed a very simple process. It'd be like you not going to title, you know, right, for, right. for a property <laughs> closing. Right. And I, and I know you don't need a checklist to tell you that, but that's how you get cavalier is, you know, well, what sure. else do you just kind of get cavalier about? And they crashed and it's because they didn't pull the, the aileron gust lock out of the controls, which is a very basic thing that you do on the taxi out as you check the controls, right? You think you're thinking, Oh my gosh, but these guys were the best. And so that was before checklists were really in place. Now they're in place. It, it saves lives. Um, so it's a, a very good process. It saves money too. <laughs> it saves I, a lot. Of I don't use checklists and I've, I still make the very basic mistake. Yeah. I bought a, um, I bought a, a couple of fourplexes uh, last year and I don't understand how this even happened to me as many properties as I bought. But after closing, I, uh, it came to my attention that the seller, uh, that the water was not submetered and I had to pay the water bill. And I'm like, well, that, that changes my numbers altogether. How did I not like that? I I've checked that 150 times. I've checked that on every property. I've, I mean, thousands of times I underwrite right. and I check it and I check it and I check it. But I just, like you said, I got cavalier. I'm like, Oh, I know it. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That all looks good. And that very simple little thing, you know, one of the 50 things that, that we check when we're underwriting properties, um, just slipped by me. And now all of a sudden my cash flow is all jacked up because of it on those properties. And, uh, and if I would have had a, a checklist, like, like you're saying, uh, I could have avoided it. So uh, we definitely. All, yeah. And to build onto that, we, there, we haven't always, we haven't learned everything yet. So your checklist grows, you know, you do a transaction and you do an after action review of what happened and you go, Oh yeah, that, that was something new that I, that I've never come across before. So add that to the checklist. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and so our, we actually have a 700 uh, due diligence point checklist um, now for properties. And it's like a meeting every week when we're going through a closing of a big transaction. 700 points on a self-storage facility. I thought self-storage facilities were simple. <laughs> well, there could, it could, there could be a lot of things. I mean, depending on, you know, we do a lot of expansions. Sure, um, sure. So, you know, going through a title you know, is, is a 25 point checklist, you know, what's on the title, what easements, what setbacks, what restrictions you have, is it on sewer? Is it on electric? Where's the electric panel? Um, you know, is there tap fees? How much are the tap fees? You know, things like that. I mean, just, you could go on and on and on and on and on. And like you said, you know, you miss one or two things and all of a sudden you're paying more than you thought and you're missing your projections to your investors and uh, or on the deal for you. Um, and I'm happy to share, we, we share a hundred points of those. Um, so if your listeners want a, a copy of the checklist, I'm happy to, you know, pass that off to you. You know, maybe you'll get use out of it too. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have you share that at the end of the show where you're sharing all of your, all of your information. Sure. Um, my, my next question before I forget, um, you mentioned secondary and tertiary markets and, you know, in multifamily, we love those markets. Um, what I have in, in my very limited exposure to self-storage, um, what I 
think I have learned was that self-storage is, is kind of different when you're underwriting markets. Typically, from what I hear, people are looking for very high volume corners with um, with low inventory in the, and there's like a, like a, um, it's some kind of ratio, like people per square foot or something like that. Correct. And, and, and it always kind of in my mind, like I, I looked at buying, my partner wanted to, to buy one, one time and we sent it to somebody else that I knew was in the space. And he goes, man, that's, that's kind of out there. It's kind of remote. And, and his suggestion was more to stay towards the larger areas um, for traffic count and that kind of thing. Um, how, how does, how does the, now that being said, I drive through small towns and I see, a, I see a self storage facility. So I know they exist. And I'm just wondering what your thought process is around the tertiary markets and, and that whole idea. So let's first define what a tertiary market is. I think that's probably a, worth clarifying. So middle of nowhere, New Mexico, um, hours and hours and hours away from a uh, primary market or a primary airport is not where we play. Um, a tertiary market for us is, you know, that we would we would buy in would be an hour outside of Atlanta airport or an hour outside of DFW airport. So. Um, you know, you still have the major metropolitan area to pull from for jobs and growth and, you know, being a commuter town, but not uh, middle of nowhere, you know, 80 units yeah, in the middle, of, you know, on a, and, and there's hardly anybody there or whatever, right? So we still look in, you know, a, a decent population town, but, you know, primary markets for us would be like Dallas, Chicago, Seattle, Atlanta, et cetera. Secondary markets for us would be like Madison, Wisconsin, um, even Orlando, arguably, would might be a secondary market for us. You know, tertiary markets uh, that you might you might be familiar with, like Tyler, Texas. You know, two yeah. hours you know east of uh, Dallas, we've got or an hour and a half east of Dallas, we've got five properties out in that market. Um, so tertiary to us is is you know could be you know more of a secondary for other people. Um, so. All the things that you said are correct. You know, the high visibility, the drive-by traffic, the saturation per square foot, the population growth, how many cars are driving by a day. Those are all very important ingredients to a successful project. And, you know, when we look in tertiary, we like that because usually when we're in those markets, we're the most sophisticated operator on the block. So you're competing with mom and pop who don't have deep pockets and do not have the sophistication of operations don't know how to don't know how to advertise and quite frankly don't know how to operate. So they don't have the online sales, they don't have the call center, they don't have the software, they don't have the means to uh, put the capital improvements into their project to make it the nicest facility in town and the most desirable um, place to rent. So we really like the fact that um, our facilities are in those markets, whereas we're in Fort Worth, Texas, which we consider a primary market, and it's uh, it's competitive. You've got extra space on every corner. You've got CubeSmart, right? Um, you've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, CubeSmart storage, uh, you know, life storage, extra space, public storage, and those are bigger operators and they've got much deeper pockets than we do. So they're sucking up all the advertising space. Uh, they're running specials that you can't compete with. Um, they've got stronger SEO and brand recognition than we do. Um, so we like to stay away from those heavily competitive markets where it's kind of a bloodbath of, of REITs sure. that come in and, and play in the space. So the tertiary is where we really make our money. It's also where the population is going as well. Absolutely. So 
my my question on the on the concept of competition. So every every other asset class that I'm involved with or, or know about or know people involved with is insanely competitive at the moment. I mean everything. I mean people are paying, you know, way over single family houses, way over multifamily. I mean mobile home parks have now run up the the, the rank. Um, everything's a bubble, the whole world, everybody's trying to buy everything as quick as they can. How is the competition around the um, self-storage facility these days? 10, ten, ten times worse than the asset <laughs> match mentioned. Um, okay. Here's why, right? So multifamily, um, it feels very competitive, right? It is very competitive, no doubt. Um, because there's a multifamily conference every week, there's 15 multifamily you know, groups in your local meetup chapter, everybody wants multifamily. But the reality is, is multifamily, there's a lot of multifamily in the United States. There's millions of properties, right? That you could compete against or buy. And you can focus on one market. You could probably get all your deal from, from one market. You could say, I'm going to be in Dallas or I'm going to be in right. Austin. And I could be the the Austin multifamily guy. And, and I have enough properties that get listed and transact in that market where I could just focus on that market. There's only 55,000 storage facilities in the United States. So there's almost nowhere to place capital in storage. And of those 55,000, probably 45,000 you don't even want for a variety of reasons. They're, they're class A, you know, REIT-owned facilities that have absolutely no value to add to them. Or they're like the property I mentioned earlier. They're Middle of nowhere, New Mexico. <laughs> Exactly. Right. And I, I, mean, I joke around about that because I had a guy that um, I flew with who had a, a family that had a, a 5,000 square foot facility in the middle of nowhere. I think it was in New Mexico, maybe Arizona. And it was like, you just can't, you know, the time that you spend traveling to that, you're going to lose in your return on your own time. Right. So you basically have bought yourself a job. Um, so, you know, when you look at, you know, the number of properties, the, the number of quality assets that you can buy in the space, you're talking about 10,000 and then and then probably only 10% of those, and I'm making these numbers up kind of as I go, may trade in the year. So they may become for sale in the year. Um, some are overpriced, so you eliminate a whole bunch there. And then, um, you know, some uh, you're under fierce competition with. So, um, you know, there was a, a, a bit that was done uh, recently by a self-storage expert that said, every single property that trades in 2021, every, every single property that comes for sale could be bought by four players in the space, Cascade, ELS, I think, or uh, I can't remember the uh, Blackstone and a couple other ones. And they'd only be spending 0.2 of their total investable platform for the year. So essentially there's way more money in the market uh, for the facilities than there are actual deals that even come available. So the, the strategy for us has been to be in front of more people in more markets. So we look at 150 different markets that we've analyzed to be the key markets that we want to be in for a variety of different reasons, you know, rent growth, population, sure. saturation, et cetera. And you, we've dispatched, um, you know, acquisitions, people to be in front of people in those markets. So we have a corner on when the deals are going to about to transact or transacting, we know about them, we can put in an offer and be competitive. Um, and likewise, we've set up our investor network to where our retail, you know, our investors can take advantage of those investment opportunities um, so we can move quickly and efficiently to actually be a, a, you know, a good buyer. So, you know, when you look at, <laughs> when you look at the competitive landscape of residential and multifamily, it's very competitive. 
um, it's no different in storage. I think what people think is, well, we don't really hear a lot about storage because there's not a lot of it and there's not a lot right. of people in the space, right? So, you, you know, oh, I'll go try storage. And then they realize, oh my gosh, this is a forecast <laughs> for a storage facility. You know, are you nuts? And it's like, yeah, welcome to storage. It's it's a thing. So, so what, what are the, can you run us through some of the numbers? What kind of returns can investors expect to get? And what is the typical property trade for yield for? What's the business model? Break it, break it down the details. Sure. Yeah. So I would probably say on your, you know, uh, on your spectrum of investment of risk and reward, you've got core, core plus value add and opportunistic. And I, I think if you're investing in any asset, you would expect that an opportunistic would pay, you know, high teens, low twenties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's ground up development. That's a risky market. It's a variety of different things that makes it opportunistic. And that, that's a, that applies to both multifamily development sure. and any other asset class type. And value add, you're expecting to get in the mid-teens, um, and that's specific to you know any asset class. Um, you know, value add should be right there on that risk and reward turn uh, curve, and then working your way down to core plus. You know, you're looking at you know just a just a touch over double digit returns, a 10 percent, nine percent, something like that. And then a core asset, you know, you would expect in the you know the low the mid to high single digits. So, you know, it really just depends, you know, are you buying a class A fully built, fully leased property on a main and main with tons of drive-by traffic? You're probably looking single digits. Are you buying a value add property in a tertiary market that has um, expansion potential and rent increase potential and high demand? Then you're looking in the teens, um, you know, the, the mid to high teens. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's similar, you know, in multifamily, if I was buying a class A building in downtown, you know, Dallas, I would expect, you know, the returns to match the risk that I'm taking as an investor. So very similar, you know, our, our traditional deal is uh, a value add that I just described, you know, mid to high teens with a 2x multiple potentially over five years. Um, so that's, you know, that's what's typical. Um, cash flow. Uh, you know, it, it, it depends, right? If it's a ground up deal, there's no cash flow sure. <laughs> because it's a ground up deal. We we built we do build ground up. We most of our deals are, are value add, um, so we're buying some existing cash flow with the expansion potential. So there might be some cash flow right out of the gate. You know, we do monthly distributions that could range anywhere between three uh, percent to ten percent. We've even seen as high as twelve percent cash on cash. It just depends on the deal. Um, so you know, every we do a deal by deal. We don't have a fund. We, we set up our projects on a project by project basis. And, you know, we've seen, again, as high as 12% cash and cash. We've seen as low as, you know, 5% cash and cash or no cash and cash return um, out of the gate because of the way we're repositioning the property or building it. So. Awesome. Tell me about building a business. Um, <clears throat> you know, it sounds like you've built quite a, a substantial business. And I'm just, you, you said 50 employees, 150 million in properties, assets under management. Um, where does that start? And then what does that look like scaling? Cause I'm, I imagine it was just you and your buddy in, in your, you know, basement, or I say basement, it's not, you know, your home office when you started. <laughs> so like kind of what is, what, what steps did y'all take to grow it into what it is today? Yeah. So they're definitely, um, it's a, it's a long game. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, uh, and you want to go out and make a bunch of money and you, and you want it now and, you know, uh, you know, wholesaling is great for that. You can, you can try to buy some under market properties and sell them or, 
Um, you know, but but building truly building an infrastructure that allows you to consistently buy assets. Like we're buying two self storage facilities a month um, that are well vetted and fit our our criteria, um, and have that deal flow is you know something that you've got to really be prepared for the long haul. So you know, put taking a back seat to your payroll, um, you know, because you got to hire people. Right, and you got to build out systems and infrastructure. But really, what what set the the ro- the framework is a strategic plan. Um, so you know what what do you want to do over the next three years? Um, do you want to have 100 million under assets under three you know in the next three years? Build out advisory services instead of business infrastructures and a capital raising team that's capable of that. And that strategic plan really lays out the goals and objectives. It's on our website. You can you can download it. It's there's you don't have to put an email in or anything. And that strategic plan will really help you work backwards to what you need to do today, tomorrow, this week, month, quarter, and year, and then over the three years of the plan. Um, and, you know, it's having, you know, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal of, you know, wanting to have a 300-person company and then just breaking it down into, you know, what, you know, what that means today, tomorrow, you know, the most important person to hire. You know, if you're if you're looking at building a company right now, I would give the advice that, um, your first hire has got to be in finance, you know, your bookkeeping, your financials, your PL balance sheet for the assets, your investor communication is critical. And if you don't have a control of your finances, uh, that's going to be a recipe for disaster. So, you know, I would say, you know, you have your founders, you know, your founder that, that has mm-hmm. a vision and, and a strategic, you know, place in the company. Um, and, you know, then you want to have somebody who knows how to uh, keep your bookkeeping straight. Um, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people outsource that. Uh, we we do it internally. We have a we have uh, three people on our finance team now. We started with one, and uh, you want to have control over that because if you want to go out and get loans, you know the banks are going to ask for the same stuff, right? Tax returns, <laughs> PL balance sheets, right? You can't get loans. You can't grow your business. Um, Spartan has no debt, which is really cool. Obviously, our subsidiary deals that we buy have debt, but um, you know, keeping a healthy balance sheet. I'd also be prepared to come to the fight with money. You know, a lot of people say you don't need any money to start a business. Well, it depends <laughs> on what business it is. I mean, are you are you going and you know what, what are you what are you doing? Right, are you setting up a lemonade stand? Or are you are you going to build a big company? So having some some liquidity is really important. Um, sure. You know, having having some education and the chops and the background to do it, you know, could could be important. Um, and then just being with the you know, for us, it's all about the people. The people. You know, you build you don't build businesses, you build people. And then people build businesses. So I think we've really had a, an emphasis on every hire you make in the beginning is critical. If you don't hire the right people in the beginning, your culture gets toxic, your employee morale goes down, people quit, you have turnover and you have a big problem. It's taken us three to four months on average to hire somebody. And I know that's a long time, but <laughs> we, we just say no a lot and hold yeah. the standard high. And set up your interview process. You know, we uh, we still, even at 50 employees, uh, Scott and I, um, the CEO, we still have a, a you know, it goes through a, a phone screen. Um, then it goes to um, a one-on-one with the hiring manager. If that passes, then it goes to a panel. If the panel passes, then it goes to, um, you know, final recommendation. And then it goes to an executive interview. And that's me and Scott. And that the point of that interview, we always say is, you know, we're not here to determine your skill set. We're here to decide if you're a good cultural fit. 
with the organization. And that, and likewise, we want to make sure that this is a relaxed environment where you can ask a bunch of questions to make sure that you want to work here as well. Um, And I think just being flexible, but firm, you know, we have a policy where, you know, you, you work remote Monday and Friday, Um, you're in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I know a lot of businesses want to be remote. And uh, here I am standing in our Seattle office. We also have an office in uh, Denver, our main headquarters. Um, if you if you want to grow, you've got to be in front of people. You can't be in your you know room on Zoom, right? You've got to <laughs> be. I mean, it works if you, if you have an established team. You know, I'm I'm confident it works. I'm confident you can do deals. I'm confident you can transact. But if you really want to grow a business, you've got to have the infrastructure in place. And the little touches that happen when people are in an office just don't happen randomly on Zoom. They don't. I agree. And the other thing that we did, I think that's been really effective is we have a team sync every week. So if you want to do so, start implementing something, we have a team sync with a very specific agenda. Um, it was funny when we actually had fewer employees, like five people, sometimes the sync would go like an hour and a half. As we've grown, the sync call has gone down to like 30 minutes and it's excellent. It's property ops because we have our own property management it's asset management. It's our construction company uh, leaders. It's our capital raising leaders. It's our HR department. It's everybody. And everybody knows what to report on. And it's a great check-in um, with a group um, where you can just get a lot of information in a very short period of time and feel like you know what's going on with the business. Um, and then lastly, I'll just say mission, vision, values. You know, I think that's way overlooked. You know, I see so many websites where you know, invest with us. We're a multifamily group and it's a picture of somebody else's apartment and, uh, and there's no pictures of people and you know what they're selling, but you don't know why, you know, like Apple always, you know, like, uh, the Simon Sinek, you know, start with your why. Yeah. You know, we're, we're building a, a culture of greatness, right. And we want to change the world. How do we do that? Well, we sell computers, you know, and, and I think people too often focus on what they're selling and not why they're selling it. And there's too many websites that are just kind of faceless. You know, it's like, well, sure. why, why do these, why do these two guys, why do these two guys get together and start this company? And I think um, when you have the mission, vision, values, and you actually follow them and stick to them, um, your investors will notice, and I think your employees will notice, and your customers will notice, and all of a sudden everybody's kind of like bought into your culture. I think it's, I think it's important. And, you know, then it just grows from there. Now we're hiring about one person a week. Um, it's, it's, you know, we've had, we had 1400% growth uh, from 2017 wow. to 2020. Um, this year we made the Inc 500. Um, this year we had uh, 2400% growth from 2018 to 2021. Um, and now we're on a, you know, hyper growth uh, right now. So, um, and I think, the foundation is so important. It's like what you do in the beginning, what you say, what your why is, I think really helps build a company. So that's kind of a long answer, but. Hey, I love it. I'm going to go check your website the second we hang out because you, <laughs> you so bad. I'm going to go, man, I'm looking for vision, mission, and values. I'm going to be yeah. taking notes. It's that's Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. Just don't do what one guy did and copy and paste the whole thing because we would have a problem with that. So much that we've actually trademarked some of our sayings because we're like, you know what? Uh, Yeah. Somebody literally went on our website and copied our mission, vision, values, everything on our website and put it up on their website. It was really funny. Like we emailed the guy. We're like, hey, um, so this is kind of awkward, but 
<laughs> but yeah, did he give you a hard time, or did he just did he? No, no, he was very apologetic. Very apologetic. Very easy to work with. Yeah. So, but it was, it was pretty entertaining. Somebody pointed it out to us. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I want to hop to our radio round a little bit just to uh, let our listeners get to know you. Just three quick questions. The first sure. one is, what's your favorite book? So uh, we just read the book. I, I'll make this relatable. I've got lots of books, um, but you know, I really love the Henry Ford um, autobiography. I just um, ordered it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's it's a little bit old school, but I think old school is what we need right now. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> it's a I've little got, bit. I get yeah. huge into biography. I'm doing the 75 hard challenge, so it makes me sit and read every day. Whereas yep. I, I used to read a lot and then I kind of got away from it and, and moved to audiobooks. And I can't listen to long autobiographies on Audible because they're 20 hours, you know. So, but now that I'm sitting down reading again, I, I started with um, Blackstone's uh, Steve oh, Schwartzman yeah. and I just finished his book, that What It Takes. Yeah. And then I love it. It inspired me. I loved it. Like when you started talking, like between your, your speech just now and that book, it inspired me to want to go create like an awesome company. And, yeah. uh, and, and when I finished with that, I started uh, Ray Dalio's principles and oh, then we love that. Yeah. And then I just ordered, um, I just ordered Henry Ford and also, um, uh, Andrew Carnegie yep. and, um, one on, uh, check out check out the No Rules Rules, the Netflix got, story. That I one's really good too. Phil Knight's Shoe Dog. You can't see it because oh, Shoe Dog. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got Shoe Dog. I got Titan yep. about John Rockefeller and the House of Morgan for J.P. Morgan. So uh, you got a I, good you got a good list there. Yeah, I'm working yeah. on it. But I mean, it'll take me a year and a half to read all these books. You can't see, <laughs> but they're stacked this high. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, I know that you're going to ask about a favorite quote, so I'll just give it to you. Yeah. So it came out of that Henry Ford book, actually. Um, and it said, and Henry Ford says, you say I started out with practically nothing, but that isn't correct. We all start with all there is. It's how we use it that makes things possible. Awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, you, you've got a lack of resources and, and, you know, oh, well, that guy just, you know, he's, you know, people always ask me, it's interesting at work, you know, or, you know, my previous airline job, they're like, oh, so is it a fan? your dad, you know, your dad handed this down to you or, you know, they just don't believe the success. And it's, sure. and it's funny because, you know, it's like anybody can, you know, podcasts were our way to learn, you know, books. I mean, look at all these books. And, you know, if you think about it uh, in today's world with Audible and, getting, um, you know, overdrive, you can download Resu it. resources. Aren't your problem. It's resourcefulness. <laughs> it, exactly. And, you know, and Henry Ford in Henry Ford's book talks to that. And it's like, this is actually never resources have never been a problem. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been resources are everywhere in front of you and it's, you know, you not making the excuse to use them. Um, you know, I love, not use them, right. I love yeah. the Henry Ford quote. Uh, you can have whatever color car you want, as long as it's black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i like that too yeah so what's your favorite thing to do outside of work it sounds like you got your hands full uh in the office what do you do when you're not there so my we have a fan uh my wife and i um have two kids we have a son that's 16 months who's uh awesome. just starting to, starting to grab everything um 
and uh, and a daughter who's four and a half. So we enjoy the outdoors. We're in Pacific. We're in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. So we love to hike and yeah, do everything yeah. outside that there is to do here. Go to the go to the ocean, go to the shore, um, and and hike. So we really like being outside with our kids. Awesome, awesome. So how can our listeners find out more about you? Get in touch with you. Down, check out your website. Download <laughs> something you were going to give away for free earlier. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, uh, a website, um, Spartan-investors.com. And uh, there's a connect with us on there, like right when you click on it. Um, so Spartan-investors.com. You can uh, uh, get a jump on our newsletter and, you know, there's a form to fill out if you want to fill it out uh, the on the invest now button. Uh, just ask for the 100 point due diligence checklist. We'll send it on over. No problem. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. I, um, I found our interview to be incredibly inspiring and it, um, I'm certainly going to go check out your website and, um, and I really look forward to, uh, following you and, and keeping up with you on your journey. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sterling. Thanks for tuning in to the rent roll radio show brought to you by Cressworth capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at crestworthcapital.com or rentrollradio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestworthcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.